0: Today we're here with Josh in Austin, Texas, and he is our guest, and we're glad to have you here today, Josh. Um, we have talked a little bit about uh, being paired with a narcissist who is a partner or a spouse, but we have not talked about what happens when the narcissist in your life could be a family member a parent, brother or sister, something like this. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about that today um, to try to have a little bit deeper understanding of uh, what it is and how to navigate through such an experience. So um, welcome, Josh. Thank you. Um, Let's begin by letting you share a little bit about your experience growing up in your family with the dynamics being what they were with a narcissist in the house. Um, and kind of describe a little bit about your, um, childhood and teenage years in that setting. What was it like to, um, have that kind of, uh, relationship in, in your, as your caregiver?
1: Uh, well, to be honest with you, it was really challenging most of the time. Um, uh, uh, growing up, we moved around a lot, and uh, my dad had a—I uh, guess he had kind of an emotional uh, stranglehold on my mother, um, just because he needed to satisfy his ego, I suppose. Uh, so that really—that really affected our uh, our stability, and it affected uh, it affected uh, our interpersonal relationships amongst each other and amongst our uh, extended family members, and. Uh, it was just um, overall it was just really an unsavory experience, if I'm being truthful.
0: Well, I think most um, adult children of narcissists would agree with you that it is um, not a savory experience. I know I, for one, my mother was uh, impaired, mentally unstable, and had suffered from uh, different types of mental illness, and even though I'm not too sure what those labels or diagnoses were. I know she had multiple issues and it made life uh, very difficult for everyone, not just me uh, but everyone in the family. It had ripple effects. Um, so I understand you have a brother and um, and that there and your uh, mother is is still with you. Do they ever talk about? Um, what happened in your house as you were growing up, or is that something that uh, silence seems like the better way to deal with it?
1: Well, um, I guess at the moment silence is the uh, the preferred way to deal with it, just because of the nature of uh, how how far spread out we are. Um, but when I was uh, when I was younger, and probably in probably my mid twenties, uh, we we're a lot of discussions were had about their experience with my dad growing up, uh, you know, versus my experience. And uh, unfortunately, there seemed to be a common thread in all of our lives growing up with him. Uh, He just, he always wanted to, uh, always wanted to be in control and always wanted uh, the adoration of his children. um, And not really, not really doing much to... Uh, reciprocate that in any in any genuine fashion
0: Mm -hmm. one of the main things i think that is a common denominator with all narcissists is their um, inability to have genuine connection and emotion with the people they are supposed to um, have as family or as their partner or something and they seem to be incapable of experiencing things such as empathy or remorse for the things um, that they do, sort of a moral deficit, if you will. Um, I think that makes it hard for family members to have someone there who I guess one way to describe it is incapable of feeling your pain, incapable of, of showing you um that they hurt when you hurt and suffer when you sur- suffer. Um, how have you come to terms with that now that you're, you're older, you're, um, I think in your thirties now. Yeah. Uh, so how have you come to terms with that emotional unavailability that you experienced?
1: Well, it's been, um, it's certainly been a process and I feel like it's, um, at least in my circumstance, uh, the process has taken uh, much longer than I had anticipated. Um, I've had to, uh, I had to learn how to kind of be my own champion in a way, uh, especially because when I was growing up, um, as you had mentioned, uh, my dad was, uh, just had a really difficult time relating emotionally. And anytime I would try to, um, talk through any disagreements or anything like that, uh, he would just Uh, his entire appearance would change. It would seem like, and he would stonewall me and, uh, and just basically divert the conversation at all costs. And so it's been, uh, it's been a very long process in learning how to um, understand that that's not, that's not the normal. And, uh, you know, and that, and that I should, I should learn how to learn how to advocate for myself and, and, uh, and just do what's right for myself instead of trying to appease another person's ego.
0: Well, I I do think that the ego uh, is certainly out of proportion and uh, not as it should be with people who have personality disorders. Um, But, you know, as children, that's when we are supposed to learn Our place in the world and how to interact with other people and have those interpersonal relationships and how to have empathy for the suffering of other people. We look to our parents to show us that, to model that to us. And if our parents are impaired in some way so that they're incapable of uh, teaching us what we need to know as we're growing up so that we can be healthy, independent individuals when we become adults, then that makes. Um, life so much harder to try to figure that out. We have to self parent in a way to teach ourselves what we should have learned when we were younger, but, but we didn't. Um, So do you have any um, tips or suggestions for people who are living with family members who are narcissists or on that personality disorder spectrum somewhere
1: Well, I would say uh, don't don't be afraid to seek out therapy, and even beyond that, um, at least in my circumstance, uh, growing up, uh, the examples that I that I was given weren't necessarily uh, the most constructive, and so a lot of the ways in which I which I grew up and I kind of modeled my behavior was through my friends, and if I could, um, I guess if I could offer any other advice, I would say that having you know having People in your life that you care about outside of your biological family to potentially kind of offset um, what a lot of that incongruent behavior. Uh, it can be a good way to kind of kind of help yourself along and and um, just learn learn how to learn how to learn how to develop in a more constructive way Mm
0: -hmm. yes i've i've heard other people um say something similar about the need for a connection with other people um peer groups support groups finding your tribe that kind of thing and you know uh as i was growing up i was always very uncomfortable with the idea of um distancing myself from my family and and trying to find a new family of choice that, that I had selected for myself. Uh, it's, that felt like a betrayal to me of my blood family to reject them in such a way. But I, I understood as I got older that there does have to be uh, some kind of boundary or separation between yourself and that toxic person. And it's a matter of survival, Uh, to put that distance or that boundary um, between yourself and that person so that you're not vulnerable to harm. And it's not as if you're rejecting them so much as it is you're choosing to try to have health and wellness and self preservation. And you're doing it because it's the only thing you can do and be okay with yourself. So, um, I I do think that that's an important thing to think about, um, in, in this whole process of, of recovery. Um, do you have any, um, experiences that you feel were important learning experiences, awakening, sudden awareness about your situation, or has it just been a slow realization of what it was?
1: I would say, um, overall it's been a slow real realization, but, um, the, the entire process has occurred in waves. Um, I know that, uh, well, my dad passed away in 2007. And so a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of things kind of came to the surface and in, in, in his personal life that he didn't disclose. And so, uh, basically just kind of starting, starting with a bombshell and then learning how to work through that. And then, um, as you look back, your opinion, your opinion changes of them kind of changes and ferments a little bit. And, uh, you know, oftentimes I'll find myself even, I know this may sound odd, but trying to justify his behavior just because I'm at a point where, uh, I've worked through a lot of anger with it and I'm just, I'm choosing compassion. And so I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find that line that works for me between, Um, acknowledging what he did and and what happened and, and also kind of giving myself the freedom to move on.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, we all have to move on. I think that when you speak of, of the process of recovery and healing and coming into your own self, a healthier version of, of yourself than you had when you were growing up uh, at what point did you, uh, were you able to name it? and know that he ticked all the boxes and met all the descriptions and that the, the research and due diligence you did to try to understand him, to be able to ascribe that name to it, that he had narcissistic personality disorder. How how did that come to pass?
1: I would say that that happened uh, a few years after his death. Uh, I was catching up with my mom and uh, we, over the years we've had. So it's kind of been, a, I guess, a, a theme among our conversations that my dad's uh, life, you know, gets brought up and his behavior, we talk about his behavior and just, um, a lot of it is, is uh, us just continuing to come to terms with it and sort through it and just kind of, uh, assemble this puzzle and try and try and give each other a more complete view of, of what that time was really like, because, uh, growing up in it, it, it was certainly, uh, a lot different than how I think of it now. And so there was a lot of manipulation going on and, uh, uh, it was just the repeated repeated communication with my mom and other family members that we all, uh, came, came to this conclusion that, okay, well, you know, when I was with him, he did, he did do this. And when I wasn't with him, you know, he didn't do that. And just, um, kind of retracing a lot of these
0: steps Mm -hmm.
1: that, uh, he took and these paths that he walked because he was very elusive. Um, It was just, yeah, it was just the communication that kind of brought everything to light and allowed us to see um, all the different facets of his life that he did not choose to disclose.
0: Mm -hmm. I think it's very confusing for a lot of our listeners to try to make sense of these things. And we don't want to jump to conclusions and, and uh, stick these labels on just everybody, you know, because that word narcissism is thrown around quite a bit. And we live in a culture where it's like, you're a narcissist and you're a narcissist and that person is a narcissist. And a lot of times I think that that term is misused and that we're too liberal in applying that to people to explain their behavior but I, I will say that when you know, when you have figured it out and when you know, you know. And I don't think there's any doubt. There's, there's too much um, uh, explanations for just everything that makes sense. There's checklists. There's things that you go through to sort of explain their behavior. And at some point, there is no other viable explanation that makes sense. You know that they possess all these characteristics and, um, and that that's the only logical uh, conclusion that you can draw is that they suffered from some type of personality disorder. Um, and I think that we're seeing people, we're, we're seeing several things. One, we hear people saying that, that narcissistic personality disorder and other cluster B disorders like uh, sociopaths and psychopaths, these, these types of uh, things are seem to be increasing. Other people say it's not so much that it's increasing, but there's a new awareness of what it is and that we can name it and see the characteristics and know what we're dealing with and then how to um, deal with it. But I guess my question is, you know, all narcissists are not the same. There's different kinds. There's different behaviors. And in dealing with it, there's specific language, and it's like the people who are sort of in the club who have been victimized in some way by this disorder. Um, they all have a similar journey that they have to embark upon to get to a place of wellness. Um, and I guess that's maybe one of my last questions for today: is um, how do you feel about uh, where about the journey itself about how to um come back from this this place of confusion and not understanding to finally feeling that you do have a good grasp of of some of the issues that your father uh struggled with and and you've come to terms with that how what next? Is this a lifetime recovery, like they say? with 12 step programs, that it's, it's forever, that once you're an addict, you're always an addict, whether you're experiencing sobriety or not, is I've heard people say that recovery is a lifetime thing. What do you think about that?
1: Well, I certainly, um, I can certainly see why people would say that just because uh, if you grew up with it, you know, it's a part of your development and it it, uh, it carries itself with you, you know, I guess through, you know, through, um, through your entire life. But, Uh, I feel like there are stages that you can go through with it, and you can, and you, I guess, uh, how you, how you, how you see things can, can evolve. And,
0: um, well, you know, they, they do say that it's, um, partially, uh, narcissism comes from genetics, that it's, runs in families, it could be partially at least hereditary. And then other people say, that it's more trauma-based, that it's a result of, it's a defense mechanism for survival and self-preservation that the narcissist has to do because they have experienced such traumatic abuse and neglect as a child. And so there's different theories that explain what creates this. And it seems to be a generational thing. It doesn't seem to be an isolated thing. So how do you think we, we as, um, Victims of narcissism can stop that so that it doesn't continue in a cyclical way with future generations.
1: I would say, um, I would say one key thing would be to stop rationalizing abuse. Um, it can be pretty easy to do that, and at least in in my experience, um, my dad's behavior kind of promoted that in a way, uh, just because uh, the more that we would excuse his behavior, the the less the fewer consequences he would have to address and you know, the fewer questions he would have to answer. And so he could, he could continue these patterns uh, unhindered in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, with his case, I feel that for him, it was uh, due to the abuse that he suffered as a child. And a lot of this I learned um, in my teen years and even more so after he passed away, unfortunately, but that he, uh, he never knew his biological father and he was, physically and emotionally abused, uh, growing up on a farm,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: between his, um, his father and then also his siblings. And so he came from a pretty dark place and I can, I can see how that type of defense mechanism could develop, but it's unfortunate that he wasn't able to stop and slow down and, and get the help that he needed to, to heal from that.
0: Absolutely. And they say that um, for people who are trying to recover and get to a place of wellness, that first step is understanding how uh, just all the logistics of how a person becomes a narcissist and what is a narcissist and and being uh, well informed, which I'm guessing is probably one of the main reasons that we're here today is to help educate people about this experience, but after you understand all that you can about narcissistic personality disorder, I think the next step, which is the most critical step is to start working on yourself and to find ways to heal yourself and parent yourself and, um, achieve some kind of wholeness and wellness that you were not able to have at a younger age. So, um, any final words for us?
1: I would say, uh, that, yeah, this, this, this process is a, is a journey and it's not going to change overnight, but, uh, don't, don't be a, don't be afraid to put yourself first. And in doing so, uh, make sure that you're accountable for yourself and, and not let, you know, not, not let your behavior become rationalized or, or, um, you know, it's just, it's just all about learning how to take care of yourself in a more constructive way. And uh, if you can manage to do that by being accountable to yourself and, and uh, just knowing that, you know, that you're going to be all right, then it's, it's, it's definitely worth your time. And it's, it's worth uh, striving to reach a place where you have really, really strong, healthy, emotional bonds, because it's gratifying in a way that you don't really comprehend or can appreciate when you're growing up in that type of environment.
0: Absolutely. And that's what we all want, healthy bonds and connections to other humans. And we're, we're getting there, right? I, I feel confident. So um, I want to thank you, Josh, for being with me today uh, to help bring this into the light. Uh, there is no stigma or shame in acknowledging that we have been uh, part of this whole dynamic and trying to Um, work on our identity and our recovery and our healing past this narcissistic uh, experience that we have had. So thank you, Josh, for being here today. And to everyone listening, I hope that all of you can take some of the wisdom shared today and apply it to your own life to help facilitate your own journey that you are taking. All right, everybody, be well until next time. Thanks.